Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 17. If you're using a pew Bible today, it's in page 903. John chapter 17 is called the High Priestly Prayer. We've been, Pastor Ron has been sharing out of that for the last couple of weeks. This is the prayer that Jesus prays on the night that he was betrayed, the last night of his life that he prays. We've read that the last couple of weeks. We're going to read just a portion of that this morning. Chapter 17 of John, verse 10. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. This is the word of the Lord. We could spend a lot more time than we're spending in John chapter 17 because we could take it almost a verse at a time, just as was read this morning. But we've taken three weeks. This is the third week. We're going to bring it to a close this morning. But let me reiterate where we've been. In John chapter 17, we began with Jesus' prayer for himself. Um, He said, as he spoke to the Father, I've glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work that you sent me to do. By being the resolution of the divine dilemma, which is no dilemma to God that we said this morning in my Sunday school class. It's not as though it was a dilemma to him, but it ought to appear to be a dilemma to us. How a holy God perfectly holy, could allow sinful people into his presence. If that doesn't ever occur to you as a dilemma, it should. And the greater the dilemma you see, the more beautiful the Christ who fills that dilemma becomes. If Christ doesn't look very beautiful, maybe you don't understand that very well. Jesus said, I've glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work you sent me to do. Do you you think about that? Do Do you dwell upon that? Does that strengthen your heart and your soul? It's about the incarnation, the incarnation that God came into this world. That incarnation is is an amazing thing. But as I said in my class as well this morning, and I said here last week, There was a point at time when he was fully God. The Son was fully God. Always, from all eternity past, fully God. In fact, in fact, you think of him in that aspect as being Jesus. He wasn't given the name Jesus until he chose to not only be fully God, but be fully man as well. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but not God the Son named Jesus until 2,000 years ago. But the other side of that coin is it will be God the Son, Jesus, for all eternity future. He identifies with us. Why? Why does He not go back to being just fully God. I think it has to do with His identification with us. It it speaks to His love for us. His willingness to identify with us. And again, if that doesn't cause you pause, something is wrong. You don't see the gap very well. The gap of who He is and who we are. We just need to think about that stuff sometimes. To see the 
the wonder and the beauty and the magnificence of that? Do we dwell upon that? Does it strengthen our souls? Um, it's why we need the gospel continually. That's what, that's what dwelling on that is about. The gospel, the incarnation, the identification of this God with us. All of that stuff. And that work accomplished something precious. It gives us hope. It gives us hope. Um, I hope you're looking at that. I hope you look at things like I just said. That Those aspects of the gospel, they're, they're all part of it. And, and the truth of the matter is, the more that you rest there, the more you rest in the gospel, the more beautiful Christ will become. And the more beautiful Christ becomes in your eyes, the more effectively you will rest. So it's a circle, kind of. The, the more you rest there, the more you let your soul rest there in all that, that is for us in Christ, all that God is for us in Christ, all that we see God to be in the face of His Son. The more you rest there, the more beautiful that face becomes, and the more beautiful that face becomes, the more you will rest. The gospel is about seeing. The gospel is about rest. Those are the kinds of words I hope resonate. I hope we're learning to rest and how to find rest in our restless souls in the gospel. Then last week, we talked about the prayer for his disciples and us. He, he prayed for the disciples who were with him, but he prayed for those who would believe according, because of their word, uh, us today, and those who will come after us, who come to rest in Christ because of our word. That's what the rest of that prayer was about. And I, we talked about two different things. What did he pray for? Um, and then secondly, what did he pray for them? And, and who he prayed for was what I just said. The disciples around his day, us who believe because of the word of those disciples down through the centuries and all the people down through the centuries. And the third thing I said in that, he prayed for, for imperfect people, which we all fit into that boat. They, they didn't understand it all. Even when he prayed for those disciples that day, they were his. The Father had given them to him, but they didn't understand it all. But they did understand God had given them the ability to see that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't understand all the ramifications of that. They didn't see the cross as clearly and all of that. But so we don't have to we don't have to see everything, but is Jesus your Messiah? Is he your savior? Is he your only hope? Is he your resting place? Then he prayed for you. Prayed for you. And what he prayed were some wonderful things. He prayed. He prayed that we would be kept from the evil one. He prayed that you would be kept from the evil one. What does that mean? He said, I don't take them out of the world, but I pray for you to be with them as they are in the world. What does it mean that Jesus prayed for you to keep you safe from the evil one? What does the evil one want to do? He wants to eat your faith. He wants to snatch it away. He wants to destroy it. And Jesus prayed that the Father would keep you from that happening. 
I, 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 I just throw myself on that sometimes. I just throw myself on it. God, you have to do this. You have to keep me believing. You have to keep me resting and trusting in you. You, you have to do this. If you don't complete this work, it will not be completed. Do you, do you get that desperate with God sometimes? When you see the slowness of your progress, as we talked about in our class this morning, the slowness of your sanctification, of your growth in, 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 in godliness and Christ-likeness, do you sometimes look at that and you just throw yourself back on Christ? Say, God, you promised to finish this. I think that's some of the rhythm of the Christian life. We just go back to Him. We are dependent upon Him. We are desperate for Him to do what He promised and we are confident He will. We are confident He will. To, to sanctify them, that was the other thing that He prayed that, that the Father would sanctify them. He would, he would work in them to will and to do according to His good pleasure. He would, he would produce godliness in their life, Christ-likeness in their life. Um, and then he can also pray that they would be unified, that they would be one, even as he and the Father were one. That, don't I, don't take that lightly. One of the things I prayed about, or I talked about last week, is that these were not hope so prayers. Jesus, at this point, Jesus wasn't praying things he hoped would happen. I think he was praying things he knew the Father was going to do, and the Father is going to going to bring unity. Um, but that unity, be careful, you see lots of disunity. Maybe it's because we're not unified around the right thing. The thing that brings unity, the thing that causes that prayer to, to be answered is when the unity, in my opinion, is around the gospel. It, it's evident in my own life. I, I, I've had lots of colleagues through the years in ministry, lots of colleagues that I've dialogued with, lots of colleagues that have been friends of mine over the years in ministry, ministry partners in the sense that they were in pastoral positions or ministry positions like I'm in. And I've had fellowship with them. But I want to tell you, of that multitude of people, the ones that percolate to the top of that list are the ones to which we spent much time talking about the gospel and about God's grace in our lives. I'm telling you, when you deal with people at that level, when you talk to them about that, unity happens. And they are some of the, the dearest friends you will ever have, the dearest brothers and sisters in Christ you will ever have. Because what happens in those relationships are they are soul-strengthening relationships as you center it around the gospel, about Christ, about seeing more of the beauty. When you talk about the beauty of Christ. Now, you could, the ones that I talked about, techniques and, and ways to do ministry and some of those kinds of things and all of those kinds of things, I, I may have had a relation, I have a relation, but there's a difference. There's a distinct difference when you go to the level of, of talking about the glory of God in the face of Christ, the beauty of Christ. Those are the rich relationships. That's the unity around that. I hope you know what it is to taste that with someone. You have somebody 
that you can have that kind of relationship with. And that's the way the church ought to be. The church centered around the gospel should be that kind of thing. And then finally, that, that, that the Father would bring them to heaven. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. You, you think the Father's not going to grant the desire of the Son? I, I, I don't think so. Is he going to disappoint the Son? His, the, the desire of the Son is that they, they that he's praying for will be with him. That's hope giving to me. That I'm going to be with him. You're going to be with him if you see him as the Messiah. That's what he prayed for. He prayed for that. He, he prayed. Now, today, we're going to bring this series to a close. And I want to spend just a few minutes. Don't get nervous here. I'm not going to go very long. But what I want to do is I want to talk about in this text, a little bit to whet your appetite, I want to talk about in this text um, the, uh, some aspects of, of, the, of the church. Of, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the church, um, and, and I think it will start here. Let me, let, me, let me back up a minute. Let me introduce what I'm going to do this fall. This fall, my plan is um, a week from next Sunday, Next Sunday is Labor Day weekend. We won't launch it there. But the following week, my, my plan is to launch a new series, and that series is going to have an umbrella over it which says, Guarding the Good Deposit That's Been Entrusted to Us. Um, and, and what that is, it's going to be out of the pastoral epistles. I'm going to take First Peter, Second Peter, and Titus. And we're not going to go from verse 1 to the end, but we're going to take those books collectively and we're going we're gonna to draw out of those books the wisdom that God has given and he gave to Timothy and to Titus. And specifically that wisdom was about how to, to do church. How do you do church? Um, that's really what those epistles are about, about how they were to shepherd the churches that they were leading. So we're going to talk about how to do church. Now, now be careful. A few years ago... I heard somebody say that. I was, in a, I was in a setting and somebody said, that person really knows how to do church. And inside of me, I just, I just reacted violently to that. Not, not outwardly, but inside. There was just something that said, this is, that, is a, that statement, that is a wrong statement. And because in that context it was, when he was talking about how to do church, he said this about this person. He said, this, church, this person does church well. And what he meant by that is he can, he can song and dance a congregation on Sunday morning well. He, didn't, he wouldn't use those terms, but he said he does church. By his definition of church is what, what's happening right now. He does church well. Don't hear that. I'm not talking about this gathering. I'm talking about this gathering seven days of the week. I'm talking about... The church. I'm talking. How do we do church? How do we, how do we do this thing? A part of that is corporate worship, but that's not all the church is. How, how do we live our life together? How should this look as we live our life together? As we live our life in community. A few years ago, somebody 
came to my office who, who, who wasn't here for the whole summer. In fact, longer than that. Just hadn't been around. And all of a sudden drops back in in the fall. And, and somebody in a Sunday school class did something um, that, that they were upset that they did to their child. I mean, I don't, I don't even remember what the specific was. And they came to my office upset about it. And I just wanted to say, in fact, I did say, I said, we live church in community. And you haven't been in the community. And so I didn't say this, but I thought, I'm not listening very much to this. You, you pop in and all of a sudden you want to... That's not church. Church is community. Church is living it together. Church is knowing one another good enough and well enough that we, we do this thing imperfectly, but we do it together. And I want to talk about what that looks like to do it together. What, what is the church? What, what, what is it that we're supposed to entrust? What, what He said, the, guard the, the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. How do we do that? How do we do that? I think, Timothy, you might want to start reading there. In Timothy, First and Second Timothy and Titus, just start reading there. I think it will be helpful to us. But now, let me share some things here. Um, in verse 10, we just lifted that text here. He said this, um, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. One of the things that ought to happen is that God ought to be glorified in the church. We'll amplify that more. But here he says, he, he, he just says, I'm, I'm glorified in them. Who? He's glorified in the disciples, immediate, and us. God is to be glorified in his people, in his church. How? How are some ways, just, just general ways that God is glorified in his church? First of all, he is glorified by saving them. God is, God is glorified by saving a people. Um, once, once we were blind and now we see. In fact, some of you are tempted at times to say to yourself, I don't have a very good testimony. In fact, I've heard people who sometimes have grown up in the church and say, I don't have a very good testimony. Let me say this to you. If you're a believer today, that's, that's the prerequisite. If you're a believer today, if you've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life, that is a false statement, and it comes from poor thinking. Anyone in this room who has passed from spiritual death to spiritual life has a testimony. A testimony about the grace of God helping you to see. You all, if you're there, if you're a Christian, you have one. Don't ever say again, I do not have a testimony. What you aren't seeing is how dead you were. What you aren't seeing is how blind you were. And what a miracle it is that today you see. What you aren't seeing is once you were blind and now you see and you haven't asked hard enough and long enough why. You haven't asked what Charles Wesley and what we sang last week was and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? Why? Why? Just look around the globe a while and ask why. Why do you see? Why are you here today? Why does, when we talk about the beauty and treasure of Christ, it makes sense to you? Why? 
when there are people on this globe who've not even heard the name of Jesus? Why? Because you have a testimony that once I was blind and now I see by the grace of God. God is glorified by saving a people. And if you are a Christian, He has saved you. And you dare not say, I don't have a testimony. He also is uh, glorified by by sanctifying a people, by, by causing them to become more and more righteous. Now, that righteousness is a long ways from the perfect righteousness of Christ. And as we said this morning, we can never throw off His, His accomplishment of imputed righteousness because this has become so good now we don't need it anymore. But He does begin to change us. The Holy Spirit begins to dwell in us. And He prayed, sanctify this people. God is sanctifying a people which is a part of saving them. Causing them more and more as they look at the beauty of who He is in the face of Christ to be changed from one degree of glory to another. God is glorified by that, by a people who care about His kingdom and His glory first of all, who ask often, what is going on in my heart? Where did that come from? Forgive me, Lord. Help me. Work in me to will and to do according to Your good pleasure, Lord. One who is willing to examine priorities. One who is willing to ask the question, what gives me life? What really gives me life? What do other people look at my life and say, this is what really gives him life? He may say one thing, but it is not what gives him life. Is it Christ? That's what what sanctifying a people is about. More and more, He becomes our life. More and more, He becomes our number one priority. It's a matter of what I treasure. It's, it's not a matter of what I talk about the most. There are people who make up churches and, and, and it's not about what they talk about the most. It's about who they talk about the most. We are pretty good. Churches are pretty good to talk about spiritual stuff. But do they talk about Christ? Is He beautiful to them? Do they treasure Him? That's that's what sanctification, that growth is about. Seeing more of the beauty and, and that being our life and that what we talk about. Him, the Gospel. Thirdly, by confessing Him before the world. By confessing Him before the world. That's how God is glorified. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, but what? It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, and then to the Gentile. By confessing Him. By confessing His name. By confessing Christ. By by Him being our treasure. 
and us taking that treasure to the world. That's what glorifies Him. Well, let's close with where we began. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Some of you read this as you came in, but I close with this this morning. Is this characteristic of our life? Is this, is this us? But thanks be to God, it says in verse 14, who in Christ always leads us in triumphant procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. The fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for all these things? For we are not, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. How does your life speak? Are you, are you speaking to the world about the glory of a God who saved you, who caused you to move from being blind to being able to see? Do you marvel at that in such a way that the world sees you marvel at that? Are you talking about a God who, who takes you there and begins to work in your life to will and to do according to His good pleasure, rearranges priorities, causes, causes you more and more to treasure Him? Are you the fragrance, the aroma of Christ to the world? Do you, do you take that aroma to the world, that, that sense of what God has done in my life? That is what glorifies Him to the point where you just live a life that trusts Him. You, you just more and more the world sees you, this fragrance going out because you trust Him. You don't just say you trust Him, but as they look at your life, they see that what makes you tick confounds them a bit. You don't, you don't tick to the same clock they tick to. Is that, that's what I think the church is. I think that's, that's how in which we are to glorify Him. He glorified the, the, the Father and, and now He's raised up a people to glorify the Father and that's us and He prays for us. God help us. Help us to glorify. Help us to spread the aroma of the fragrance of God in Christ to our world. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we we just pray that you will help us. As we move in a couple of weeks into this series on the church, we, we just scratch surface here, Lord, a little bit about, about all of that. And you give us lots of other instruction about how to be the church. But ultimately, the, the, the church is to glorify you. So help us to learn how to best do that, Father, to work that out to be the body of Christ. That we will be the right kind of fragrance 
And there will be people around us who just just scratch their heads and scratch them enough that it leads them to find answers. And ultimately, Lord, that all of that would result in them seeing as well. And that they would join the numbers for which your son prayed along with us. Lord, we pray all of this in the one who prayed for us, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together. Let's start on verse 2. I was blinded by my sin. I was blinded by my sin. Had no ears to hear your voice Did not know your love within Had no taste for heaven's joys Then your Spirit gave me life Opened up your word to me Through the gospel of your Son Gave me endless hope and peace Help me now to live a life That's dependent on your grace Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face You are worthy to be praised With my every thought and deed O oh, great God of highest heaven Glorify Your name through me Bless you, just miss, go and be the church.